Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and today we are wondering why are people freaking out so much lately? Is that a real question? Yeah, it kind of is. What mindset shifts can people make to reduce their anxiety? What practical steps can they take to reduce their anxiety? What are some habits that they can develop to improve the quality of their lives? And my guest today is a business psychologist, Dr. Roger Hall, and he joins us today to show us how we can keep our heads clear in times of great upheaval and anxiety. And we're not just talking about the pandemic, which of course is a huge global issue, but then there's just the daily issues that pop up. Maybe your brother passed away. Maybe your cat is really sick. You've got a flat tire. There's no telling. We can just absolutely get anxious and don't even know where to go often. So Roger Hall has one trick. I love this. He says he has one trick. He trains leaders to monitor and manage, and those are capital letters, monitor and manage their thinking. And great leaders first learn how to monitor their thinking, and if you don't know what's going on in your head, you aren't ever going to be able to manage it. So once leaders have learned to spot what is that's going on in their heads, and we're all suffering with that a bit, I think, they can then manage it. And he says that successful people are first and foremost disciplined thinkers. Successful, happy people discipline their thoughts. And better thinking leads to better behavior, which then, of course, leads to better results. Roger has worked with really quite little companies, very small companies, with only a few people all the way up to the big behemoths that dominate their industries. He likes working with people who want to become the best versions of themselves. Roger, welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. It's good to have you here. Oh, I'm grateful to be here, Denise. Thanks for having me. Oh, listen, I have got your books. I mean, you sent me the most wonderful books. You sent me a copy of your book, Staying Happy, Being Productive, The Big Ten Things Successful People Do, and it's on my book. It's on my desk as we speak. I just need to shoo a cat off of it. But you also... He's plunked his butt right in the middle of it. You also gifted me with an absolutely terrific, I guess it's a journal or a book, I love the way it looks, called Expedition. And before we get too far down the road, I would love for you to share what that is and how we use it. Yeah, it. Um, I developed that in working with my clients as a format for um, – working with my executive coaching clients for some of them who wanted more structure in the things that we went through. And then it's it kind of turned into a way to do executive roundtables with like-minded groups of, of, of leaders. And then it's also become the basis for a number of retreats that I do. So I'll, I'll do conferences, retreats, um, you know, weekly um, executive roundtables or monthly executive roundtables, and then uh, it can also be a self-study guide. So it, it, it's, the, it's the basic building blocks of what I think a leader needs to, to learn for his or her life so that he or she can become a great leader. And see, I'm using it as self-study. You're going to think I'm an idiot, though. 
I don't want to mark it up. It is so cool. It's the neatest. I'm, I keep thinking, do I have a mechanical pencil with an eraser? I do not want to ink this thing up. So you know, I'm, I mean, I'm really just in great. love with it. I'm really grateful with the way it turned out. Um, I had self-published a version of that, a first edition, and then I uh, brought some grown-ups in and a really great designer, <laughs> um, and they they made a beautiful uh, they made a beautiful outcome. But but write it up; it's yours. It's it's it, 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 it's for you to interact with, and uh, we chose that thick paper so that people would feel like right. okay, this is this is worth keeping. Oh. It- I seriously, I actually have penciled in a few things, and then I thought, okay, grow up. He gave you this for a reason. You can't, <laughs> you can't rip it in tissue you know, and, and put it on the shelf. Use it. Yeah, there are all those blank spots after the questions for you to write in. You know, I, and I have my own copy, and I write in my own copy because you know okay. it, it's my own personal development journey as well. So I have permission to mark it up. Okay. <laughs> you have direction, not just permission, oh, but direction. <laughs> better yet. Well, I will start, and I use a, a particular type of pen that's almost indelible. So I'm going to get very serious about it. I'll let you know how it works out. But it's been sitting that you sent this to me a couple of weeks ago, I think, and I've been looking at it, and I go through it, and I've put stickies on it so I know where to go back. But I just have not wanted to deface that gorgeous book. I'm, I know I sound like a weenie, but I really love so, it. So, Denise, do you want me to send you another copy, one to keep and one to work in? <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> I, it really is just so, – yes, if you would. That, that I would really love that because one of them does need to go on my bookcase so I can show it to people without my personal – innermost angst showing up in it. Okay, and so then I can... Keep yes. one in the safe and one on the shelf. Okay. Yes. <laughs> That's really not where I was going, but I would love to have another copy. So listen, I listen. Would be happy, I, I would be delighted to send you one. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> so, so note to self, on the next edition, don't make it so nice so people will actually write in it. <laughs> Or send them a PDF copy that they can print and ruin their own ink. (laughs) Who knows? It really, I wish people would. Is there any place people can buy this? Because it's terrific. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, um, it's available on uh, one of my websites, compassconsultation.com. And um, you can can order it there and we'll we'll get it sent out to you. Perfect. I just sound like such a fangirl, but you should have seen me when I opened because I love to get books from my guests. You know, I mean, you guys, I interview so many authors, and I have a giant bookcase in my office, and every single book in there is from you guys. It's from all of my author guests. And I'm telling you, I've read every one of them. I've marked up every one of them. I've broken the spines on all of them. I mean, this is my homework. This is my entrepreneurial library. And this is why I have well, to have, I love to have people like you on the show. Well, so you've, you've got a graduate education if you've got all this reading. I do. Yeah. I do. I'm honestly, right now, I'm the smartest person in the room. I live alone, <laughs> so I can say that. <laughs> you, you might want to talk to your cat about that. Um. <laughs> Well, there is that, yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> so listen, okay, now that I'm through fangirling all over you, let's talk. Let's talk about the different things that you're talking about because I love that you have one trick. You know who else says that? When when you said that to me, I instantly went to another friend of mine who is Larry Wingate. He says he's a one-trick guy. You know, he talks about personal responsibility and I mean, and I just went, oh my goodness, so we're in good company here. But Let's well, talk you know, about... you, when you talk about Larry Wingate, I, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of his. I'm actually looking at ten of his books on my bookshelf right now. They're all together. Oh, yeah, uh, me too. Yeah, yep. I've got yep. him. Yeah, yeah, he's he's remarkable. You know, he uh, is. I, I really love to read his stuff and listen to what he has to say. Listen, and Larry and I have something in common. Neither one of us really has filters, so we know. <laughs> <laughs> get on the radio or do any talking we have to kind of ratchet it down a bit and you know say don't say that oh shoot I'm going to say it anyway (laughs) we have to be careful yeah I just you know I've got I think one of his early books and it's just it's so cool to see his transformation as he's developed his brand and um, his identity and you know he, he talks in his own books about he how he got really comfortable with who he was instead of trying to be what somebody else wanted him to be and i think that's for 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 everyone that's really freeing to watch that happen and how when when he decided to 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 embrace who he really was how things kind of took off for him so it's it's really fun to watch that and in our very first conversation, geez, eight or ten years ago, I mean, he's been my guest multiple times over the decade, and he said to me, and this is a title of a book that he had read, and you, I, I know what you're talking about, because that's really what freed him up to say, this is who I am. This is how I help people. And the title of that book, or the phrase that he gave me at any rate, was, what you think of me is really none of my business. And I just went, oh! I knew that about myself all of my life. I just couldn't phrase it properly. My way of saying that was go away and leave me alone, which is kind of rude. (laughs) Much, much better. (laughs) But yeah, he's, he's, and one of my favorite books of his, and this is not the correct title. I think the correct title is Your Kid's a Young Fault. I always do it in Larry's voice. And I add something. It's like your kids are your own damn fault. Well, he doesn't say it that way, but I do. So there you have it. Yeah, where is it? I've got that one as well. Yeah. I can find yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, um, well, anyway, I've, I've got them all. But, um, yeah, I love uh, one, the, the one that I got introduced to him on. It, it, it's called Work for a Reason. And the subtitle mm-hmm. is Your Success is Your Own Damn Fault. And, yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's, that's, that's pretty much Larry right there. That's exactly, Larry. So how in the world did you decide that being a leader is who you are and what you bring to the table and how you help other people? You you know, Denise, when I was a a teenager, um, I never thought about leadership. Um, I I just was, you know, running along in my life, and I had a pastor who saw something in me and encouraged me down that leadership journey. And if it wasn't for him and his encouragement, I, I would have never done this. But, you know, he, he saw something in me and worked to develop that. And so I um, kind of went down that path. And then when I was in graduate school, I wanted to 
you know, I, I went to graduate school uh, as a psych, to become a psychologist, and uh, I am I am one. And what I wanted to do was work helping healthy people do even better. And and it, it's it's been a it's been kind of a lifelong journey for me. I, I remember a conversation with my my um, college roommate, who's still my best friend today, and he we were looking at the student newspaper. And there's a picture of the president, and he points at the president, and he says, I want to be that guy. And right next to the president, whispering in his ear, was the president's chief of staff. And I pointed at that guy and said, I want to be that guy. Mm-hmm. And so I have known since I was 18 that I don't want to be the elected official, but I'd like to be – the unelected advisor to the official. And, and it's kind of the role I've taken is that I work with, with people in leadership positions as their advisor and their guide. And see, that makes perfect sense to me. You know, I wouldn't want to be the one taking all the slings and arrows, which politicians must do. And, you know, rather have, I would rather have somebody give me great advice that I can take or not take, but it's still mm-hmm. there. You know, I can make that decision. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I, I don't. I'm not sure I have the temperament uh, to be a good politician, but I do want leaders in whatever in whatever area they're in to succeed, and so that that's my job. Exactly. I didn't realize that you were were a psychologist, and I should have because I thought I did my homework. Apparently not. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, uh, that's okay. No, I got my I got got my degree in 1991, and uh, I started out as a clinician, uh, and learned within a few months that that was really not for me. Uh, but I had to figure out how to get off that train and get on another train, and it took me a while. But eventually, I I, I got off the the clinical track and got on the consulting. Uh, advising executive coaching track and have been a lot happier person ever since. Well, I would think just because of that that track that you're on now, that people actually are going to listen to you. That they're actually, you know, seeking good advice and you know, good information that they can kind of flip around in their own head and decide where they're going to land. But I don't know. Am I wrong? I've never actually seen a psychologist. I've, you know, have a couple that are clients, and I know a bit about it. But it seems to me like it's an uphill practice because people really don't want to be told what to do unless they're well, really you know, asking. Unless they're really asking, you know, there's that joke: How many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is only one, but the light bulb's got to want to change. <laughs> and, and exactly. And, and, and I want so, to change. I mean, seriously, we're perfect the way we are. Well, you know, I I I have the the um, the blessing of working only with people who want to change, mm. and, and so I look really hard before I start working with somebody. And the the question I ask is: Are they teachable? Do they want to learn? Do they want to grow? Um, I remember being hired into a company by the the uh, the uh, chief executive officer and he had me working with one of his one of the people in his c-suite and when i walked in to speak to her she said of 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 the um 
of the 10 things you're going to teach me, I already know 9.8 of them. And my answer was, then why am I here? And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a long engagement because that's, that's not the kind of person that I'm going to succeed with. Um, so usually I, 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 I feel really fortunate that the people who hire me, they say, I've got this need and I want to be better. And, and that's a lot of fun to work with. No kidding. I'm actually setting up, um, I guess, a mastermind with a good friend of mine who is just brilliant. I mean, her brain, the way she operates, just makes me go, oh, I want to do that. She says I do, but you know, we don't know what we don't know, right? And I'm actually, I was looking at Expedition last night again, and I was going, okay, there's stuff in here. If I can just bring myself into scribbling in it, there's things that I can bring to this mastermind that we're creating. So thank you for that, and I'll let you know how it goes. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'd love to hear about it. But here's my question. So, look, mindset shifts, and I don't know about you. I am constantly shifting my mindset around because I will I'll be aware that something in my head itches, my brain itches. Something doesn't feel right. And, you know, I'll know that that's anxiety or I'm irritated or something's going on or it's just the wrong, wrong path for me to take. I pay a lot of attention to my intuition. These days, it's gotten so bad for so many people who either can't or don't know that they can pause, that they can just sit down and say, what's bothering me? What, what is going on? Is this important? Is it really important? Worse than that, is it even true? Half the time I find that the conversations we have internally are just garbage. They're garbage. Mm-hmm. So how do people identify that, sit with it, and then make a shift that they can say, okay, you know, now I don't want to kick the cat or bite the steering wheel. I'm okay now. Yeah, I think when when you talk about mindset um, and and, and this whole process of what's in your head and something you said something's itching, I mean, the language I use is is that every one of us has a stream of consciousness that's running through our head all day long and it's flowing with thoughts all day long and very few of us ever stick a ladle into that stream of consciousness to sample what the thoughts are. And if we would spend time sampling what's in our stream of consciousness, we would realize how much trash is running through our head. And I so, think it was, who was it, Mary, Mary Kay that said that stinking thinking? She's right. Stinking thinking. Stinking yeah. thinking. Yeah. So... One of the things I encourage people to do, and almost all of my clients, I encourage them to do this process, is a thought monitoring exercise. And these days, everybody has the three pieces of equipment that you need to do this. And, And the first piece of the equipment is your phone. And you can even have a dumb phone. You don't even have to have a smartphone, as long as you can set alarms on it. And so you set an alarm on your phone to go off every hour for 10 hours a day. So from 7 in the morning to 5 at night or 8 in the morning to 6 at night. So that's one piece of equipment. The second piece of equipment is when the alarm goes off, you take out a 99-cent pad of paper that you bought at the office supply store, and you write down 
what's the thought that's at the top of your head? And it's not a journal. It's not a, you're not exploring deep things. You're, you know, if, 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 if you just got off the phone with an angry customer and you think that guy is a jerk, I want you to write down that guy is a jerk. Or if the alarm goes off and you're in the middle of answering emails and you say, you know, I, I'm frazzled. I want you to write down, I'm frazzled, nothing more than that. And then at the end of the week, you know, seven days times 10 observations, you'll have 70 observations of what's in your stream of consciousness. Oh. And, and, and wow. what I have found is that there are two outcomes to that. The first is there's almost always a recurring theme excessive anger, excessive guilt. Um, lots of time it shows up in feeling stressed or urgent, which is a kind of anxiety. And I see that and people see that and they go, oh, okay, there's a theme here in my life. So that's the first side effect. The, the most important side effect is that you've had practice 70 times in a week of stopping to observe what's in your head. And in my business, we call that metacognition, the ability to think about your thinking. But, but this training is training you to do, put that ladle in the stream of consciousness and find out what's in there. And that is, is, is you know, that's gold right there. I mean, that's money. And then the, the second step is called thought stopping. And thought stopping is when, now that you're better at observing what's going on in your stream of consciousness, when one of those urgent or guilt or angry thoughts comes through your head, you go, oh, there it is again. That's not any good. That doesn't get me what I want. So that's the, to me, that's the easiest part. But the hardest part is the last part, which is thought replacement which is how, once you stop that thought that's coming through the stream of consciousness, how do you replace it with a more productive thought that's true? And for that step, you sometimes need to have a trusted advisor or a loved one help you realize you know, how stinking your thinking is. Can you give us some examples how somebody else could help you? Listen, I... I love what you're talking about, the Pat. I use index cards for a lot of things. I'll use them for my top major three things that I must do that day. And, of course, you know, I'll add little, you know, bullet points. But the reason I use index cards is because at the end of the day, when I've cleared one and it's done, I shred it. I have a little, a little happy dance and I shred it. It works. It clears my mind. But I really like what you're talking about with, you know, get those 70 and find out, where are you really going with this? And then you're probably going to find out, well, why? Why why does that bother me so much? What is what in the world is how do I fix this? Well, how do I fix this? And so so let's say you you have a um uh, you know, a customer who you you think that customer is a jerk. And you know, someone could help you say, "Okay, is that customer really a jerk or is it a misunderstanding?" Is this a customer you want to continue to work with? 
Um, is this the only customer that you're angry with? Or are you angry with lots of customers? If so, you know, you're probably the issue, not the customer. You know, the customer may have a, a problem, but you know, if, if everybody's a jerk, you know, it, it, you know that old adage, if the first person you meet in the morning is a jerk, they're a jerk. If everybody you meet that day is a jerk, you're the jerk. Um, so, so it's having somebody who loves you and cares about you say, hey, this is probably, this is probably you. And what is it that, that you're thinking and, and, and dig around and then how do you replace that? Oh, you know, I have wrong expectations or you know, it, it could be a, a thousand different interventions. And that's why you need somebody who knows you well and can help you transform that thinking. I never even considered that. Yeah, I'm a highly committed introvert. I like to be left alone. I've mentioned that millions of times on my podcast. But lately, I've gotten a whole heck of a lot better about with this new, you know, thing that mastermind that we've got going on. I've gotten a lot better about asking for help, mm-hmm. which is why I'm so excited to talk with you today because help is not something I offer it. I help a lot of people, but I just don't expect people to help me, which is, guess what, stinking thinking. They want to help me. People want me to succeed. People want you to succeed. Why in the world do we hamstring ourselves like that? Well, you know, it's, it, 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 there, there are a host of reasons why we don't like people to help us. Um, the, the thing that's been um, really beneficial for me to think about in that is that I like to help people, and if they ask for my help, I'm delighted to give it. And if I deny that to other people, I deny someone else the opportunity to be delighted in helping me. Ah. Okay. That makes perfect sense. So someone out there, you know, and if if I'm a chronically needy and unpleasant person, I'm probably not going to get a lot of help. But if I do ask for help, someone will feel good. Hey, I was able to connect those dots for Roger, or I was able to help solve that problem for him, and that gives them a good feeling. Well, why would I want to deny them um, the opportunity to do good and for me to gain benefit? And see, when you put it like that, I feel like kind of a nimrod. <laughs> Is that a real word? I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really not trying to I don't even know what that, that means. Me. <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> it's just too late. I'm going to have to go sit in the corner. But I'll do that after we're done. You know, it'll be my break. To, you know what else I do, though, when, when I'm getting that itchy thing? And it happens a lot because I like to think that I'm pretty aware of what I'm thinking. I'm getting better about it because I am practicing. And when I get that itchy, oh, something's bugging me, you know what I'll do? It's going to sound ridiculous, but I call this the open refrigerator door syndrome. I can't meditate. My mind is on a squirrel cage. I'm always, I've got a squirrel monkey brain. It just doesn't stop. I don't sleep well. I mean, it's just my brain is always moving. So I will stop what I'm doing and go to the refrigerator, open the stubble doors, and stick as much of me in that refrigerator as I can. And it's a big unit. I can fit in there pretty good. And, you know, you know what happens when you open the refrigerator door? Your mind just goes blank. That's how I take my little, okay, I'm walking away. I can't stand it anymore. I'm walking away, and then I feel refreshed. It sounds ridiculous. But try it. It works.
<laughs> well, you know, when we when we um, when we clear our head, it actually does make us feel better, and our 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 brain uses different parts of itself uh, for that um, that sort of free thinking time. Um, a whole different set of of circuits in our brain lights up, and um, it's called the default mode network. And our brain goes there by default when we're not trying to figure something out. And it, our, our brain needs to go there every day. And that's when our most creative ideas come, was when we're in this default mode network. It happens when you open the refrigerator door. Other people, it happens at different times. But um, really happy, successful people spend time in that, in that kind of white space, that quiet space. In the shower. The minute yeah. I get in the shower, all of a sudden my creativity just goes, whomp, and I mean, it's off and running. You know what I've had to do because some of, I've got some really brilliant ideas in there. I'm not kidding. Some of them are just absolutely brilliant. I bought some uh, bathtub crayons so I don't lose it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I do. And I get to do My inner kid gets to come out and play. I scribble all over those walls. I scribble wherever I want. When I get out, I take a picture of everything, then I wash the walls. It works. That's awesome. That's awesome. You've, you've got a whiteboard in your shower. I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> and I'm telling you, because I would get out of the shower and just go, oh, man, that was so – oh, shoot. It's gone. The wording was perfect. The idea was perfect. It was absolutely magnificent, if I do say so myself. The minute I step onto that bath mat and I grab my towel, it's gone. So bathtub crayons. And some other people have said get a little recorder. I like my crayons. I get to play. I get to, I think you're going you know, to do great business for the bathroom crayons. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of adults buying them now. That's a great I even idea. Do. And, hey, listen, I'm a creative. I build websites. I can't draw anything, but I do a great hangman in the shower. So there you go. <laughs> I have no idea why. You know, your mind just goes wonky after a while. But, you know, when you mentioned, Roger, earlier, you said, you know, it set a timer for 60 minutes. And I actually, my mind went in a completely different way. And I was so glad that you explained it because what I was thinking you were going to say was that you need to get up and move around, you need to breathe, which is true. I mean, we can't sit in a chair all day. But what I am going to, and I'm going to, I have a bunch of little composition notebooks, so I'm going to grab a fresh one and I'm going to do what you said to do. But at that same time, every hour, I need to get up and move, you know, whether it's going outside talking to the dog, talking to the trees, watering something, whatever it's going to be, I have to get up and move or my brain just, I lose focus big time. You know, so I'm our, going to do our, two exercises at once. Our, our brains do need that movement. I, I, I'm kind of a neuro nerd. I'm not kind of, I am a neuro nerd. And, and the evidence is really clear about how movement helps the blood flow, um, go around our brain. Our, 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 our brain doesn't have blood in it, um, but it, it connects with the cerebrospinal fluid. And that movement, the cerebrospinal fluid doesn't have a heart to pump it. And so movement um, can help with that. Um, sleep is really important to move all the ick that our brain 
you know, all the, all the excess debris that our brain produces needs to get moved out of that cerebrospinal fluid. And so movement is a, is a, is a really good part of that. Exactly. And one of the, the chapters is called Exercise is as Effective as an Antidepressant for Improving Your Mood. I think everybody knows that, but some people just don't want to do it. What's that? And exercise doesn't have to be, you know, you're going to the gym and you're sweating to, you know, the point that you can't even think anymore. I won't do that. Ain't happening, hun. That's a southern thing. That ain't happening, hun. <laughs> but, but, I mean, just walking around with a dog or, you know, doing some squats. Oftentimes, I'll be in the kitchen waiting for something to boil, don't we always? And I'll just do 30 squats in the kitchen. Yeah, and then off absolutely. I go. I mean, you can work it in anywhere you're at. Yeah, and it, it, it I mean, we, we, and I'm, I'm very pro gym. If, you, if you're a part of a gym, you know, rock it, do it. But there are lots of people that's not their, that's not their thing. And any sort of activity will do, do you good. Um, you know, I, I used to take walks around my neighborhood where I used to live, and. I was the only person without a dog who ever went for a walk. <gasps> Is that allowed? I, I mean, exactly. People, I mean, I had the police called on me because they said <laughs> I, I was suspicious. It. You know, and it's like, and, and, and the police come up and they said, we've, we've had a call about you. And I said, what's the call about? Well, that you're just suspicious. I said, I'm going for a walk. <laughs> um, but, but it's so Next good time, for take a... A leash with you and just pretend like you're looking for your lost dog. Looking for my dog, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, a, a dog will keep you out of trouble with the cops. Um, um, but, but you know, and, and I was in a suburban neighborhood, and it was just so unusual for people to see a person going for a walk. Uh, so any, anything that you can do. Um, I have a standing desk so that um, all day long I can I can sit on a bar stool or stand. Um, so, so anything you can do, all of which will keep your body, your arms and your legs moving, all of which um, creates all this different activity in your brain to help it clear itself out. And it does. I mean, the minute you're having those itchy feelings, and I get them a lot because you know, I'm thinking all the time. My brain seriously does not shut down. And I can tell pretty quickly when I'm heading down the wrong road because my itch will go, uh, Denise, Denise, hello. And I have to sit with it and figure out what in the heck is bothering me. Do I need to change you know, track? Do I take another route? Do I dump it all together? Sometimes I do. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Denise, I think you, you, you raised the point about you being an introvert you know, introverts and extroverts work out their their problems differently. Um, we introvert, do. Yeah. An introvert is going to be very creative in his or her own space, figuring it out. An extrovert sometimes has to talk out loud with other people to help know what they're thinking. Um, but even introverts uh, need a small group of friends who we do. they can trust. You know, friends. It, yeah, you, you may not need to network with 800 people, but it wouldn't be a bad idea to have a half a dozen friends. Exactly. And, you know, we find that and the more I'm willing and able 
to talk with people and listen to people and ask for help, the less stressed I am. And I don't consider myself to be a very stressed person. I might be stressful to people who are in my way. But, yeah, I, well, okay, I, I am stressful to other people on occasion, but it's mostly <laughs> I'll just tell the truth right now. But But the thing is, if we can find practical steps to reduce our anxiety, to identify and then reduce our anxiety, aren't we just so much better for the world at large? We're better for the people around us. We're better for the people that we interact in on social media. And by the way, you people with keyboards that think you're invisible, knock it off. Just shut up. <laughs> so, okay, I'm done. Yeah, uh, un- unfortunately, um you know, couch commandos, there are no consequences to the things that they say. Um, you know, Mike Tyson, who's famous for saying everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face, right. um, more recently said, a lot of you people on the Internet say things that you would never say in real life because in real life somebody would punch you in the face. Um, so, you know, there's the wisdom of Mike Tyson. Um, so, unfortunately, there there are no consequences to people being un, unkind to each other at a distance, um, and 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 part of that, you know, is is some of the stress that's happening in our world. Is, is that it's so easy now for people to snipe at people anonymously, and it it creates it creates stress for the people who are out in public, uh, people who do. Um, you know, go into the arena, the, the critics are, are waiting because they've got nothing better to, to do than to criticize. Exactly. And, and here's the thing, I mean, you're talking about Mike Tyson, and I've often said that here on this podcast about me, the way I talk to myself. And I've often said, look, if anybody had the guts to talk to me in a fashion that I speak to myself, I'd bloody their nose in the Walmart parking lot without yep. hesitation. Why do we talk to ourselves in such a fashion that we just like, at the end of the day, we feel terrible? So let's talk about how we can get away from that habit, stop, pause, whatever it is that you advise that we do, and just you know, get, take that stinking thinking and say, ah, really, Denise? I do that a lot. Really, Denise? Go sit down. You're an idiot. And then I have to go back and, you know, apologize for that. So it's kind of a, a round-robin type of thing that we, we do to ourselves. And then we do it to other people. Well, we do it. We, yeah, we do it to other people. We do it to ourselves. Um, the, there are pretty clear ways that people distort their thinking about themselves. Um, there, there, there's... Um, a gentleman named Martin Seligman who outlined what he calls the three he's in your book pessimism and the, the the three P's are and pessimists think differently than optimists in these three ways the first is permanence the second is pervasiveness and the third is personalization and so if if we look at permanence a pessimist, if they do something bad or they fail at something, let, let's say, um, you know, um, at work, and, you, and you're designing a website. We'll, we'll use you as an example. You're designing a website, and it just does not 
execute properly. You know, you've got you've got this program code, and it's supposed to it's supposed to create this flow of activity, and it doesn't work. And a permanent attribution would be. I suck at writing code. I've never been any good at code. I can never get my code to work. I, I, I've never, it, you know, it, ever since I was a kid, I've always been a phony. I've never been able to do this. I don't even know why I try to do this. And so what you do is you, is you go back to your childhood, and then you advance to the end of your life and say, I suck at this thing. Per, See, just listening thing. to that made my stomach hurt. Well, but, but, but you just said, we talk to ourselves in ways that no one else would, we'd never let anybody sure. talk to us that way. So that's the first error. The first error is that it's permanent. The second error is it's pervasive. And pervasive is, well, I suck at writing code. Um, you know, I'm not very good at math. I'm not very good with people. I'm a loser. Kids down the street pointed and laughed at me last week. You know, I should go live in a van down by the river. Or you do the shorthand, which is, I'm an idiot. So oh. you take, you take a, an immediate failure and you expand it to everything. I am a loser. I am an idiot. I am worthless. And then the, the last of those is personalization. And this is the belief that Zeus is on Mount Olympus with lightning bolts that he's throwing particularly at you. And it, it gets manifest by this phrase. You're, you're on the highway, and you're in the, in, you're in the fast lane, and someone pulls out in front of you, and they're going five miles under the speed limit. And you invariably say, why does this always happen to me? And the reality is it doesn't really always happen to you. But that's personalization, is that there's, there's particularly something about me that attracts disaster. And so those three Ps get you into some very, very dark places in your thinking. Now, optimists think the opposite. When they write code and it doesn't run, they say, well, I didn't get it this time. I'll get it next time. It's not, and it'll be better the next time. And it'll be better. It'll be better. It's yeah. not permanent. It's temporary. Okay, well, this is a nuisance, but I'll have to get past this, or this is one step toward my eventual success. The second is they're not pervasive about it. And, and you know, we all have weaknesses. Like mine would be writing code. And I could say, you know, I, I'm no good at designing websites. I'm no good at writing code, but I am good at a lot of other things. And so that's okay that I'm not good at one thing or several things because you know, even, even Superman has kryptonite. Everybody's got a weakness, and, and building websites is mine. And so I'm okay with my weaknesses because I see, um, I see uh, strengths that complement my weaknesses. And the last is, is personalization, is I, I take a sample of my whole life and I realize, boy, you know, it's easy to remember when, when the slow person gets in the fast lane in front of me, but I don't ever pay attention to the thousands of times that the highway is free and clear in front of me uh, because that doesn't, that doesn't catch my attention. So I spend time observing when things
things go well. When you're observing these things, Roger, that are going well, shouldn't you take advantage of those and set intentions? Just as a for instance, when I'm heading to the grocery store, wherever it is that I'm going to go, and I am really directionally impaired. So I live in a small <laughs> town. My little grocery store is in the next small town, and I've been known to completely miss it and have to double back. I know where it is. doesn't matter. I'll get there eventually. But what I always do is when I get in my car, before I start my engine, I will set my intention. I'm going to get where I'm going safely. I may get a little lost, but I'll find something new. I always find something interesting to see. I'll have good parking. Nothing bad is going to happen to me. I'll come home safely. And I set that intention, and by golly, it works. Mm-hmm. I, and, and a compliment to your intention, your positive intention, which is, I think, a great way to start every activity, is at the end of every activity to spend some time in gratitude. Well, I, when I get in the car, well. <laughs> you're going to think I'm a, a nit, but when I get in the car, I have an invisible butler that goes with me. His name is Jeeves. Don't we all have Jeeves? And I'll tell Jeeves <laughs> what my intention is, and off we go. And then when I get back home, I thank you, Jeeves, and you know, I go unload my gross. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really telling myself thank you. I think there may really be a Jeeves. I don't know. But it's it's just a fun mindset to have, and I just assume that nothing god-awful is going to happen to me. It's the only way yeah, I can operate. And, and you know what? Because you have those intentions, because you have those expectations, um, you're able to count the success. Other people are looking for disaster. Um, and, and I think our society is set up for um, um, looking for disaster. Uh, I, I, I knew a, a guy, he, he talks about the headlines for the financial markets, and he says, stocks soar, stocks plummet. And he said, you know, if you look at the, the percentages, they, they went up 1%, they went down 1%. That's neither soaring nor plummeting, but that doesn't make for a good headline. He said, you would never get in an elevator if the buttons were labeled soar and plummet. Oh, God. I never thought of that. <laughs> My stomach again just down. dropped. It's like, oh, geez. <laughs> but, but don't you see, we, 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 have, yeah. we have a whole society built on getting us to get amped up and afraid um, because of the language that we use. Um, well, my best advice is turn off the news, turn it off, cut cable, you know, figure out what you trust, where you use your critical senses to figure out what you really can trust. Cut off cable. The best advice I can give you. I cut it I, off 10 years ago. It's never coming in my home again. I, I, I'll tell you, I, I stopped watching the news in 1994. Good for you. And I was, I was driving home from work one day, and I was still a clinician at the time. And it, I'd had a very busy day with people with lots of very difficult problems, and I was worn out. And I'm listening to the radio, and it's in the middle of the Rwandan genocide. I don't know if you remember oh, that. I've read about it. It's horrific. And they're playing audio of people being killed by machetes on the radio. And I'm, no. I'm driving home on a country road, and I ask myself, why am I listening to this? 
this is making me miserable. There's nothing I can do for the people in Rwanda at this moment. It's only making me feel miserable. And I turned off the radio. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll read headlines, Denise. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have my, my head in the sand. But I have saved myself an hour of the news every day for 25 years. And I have Good been happy me too. because I've saved all of that time. You know, it's, it, it's 365 hours a year over 25 years. That adds up to a lot, lot of time I could spend differently. Um, the other thing I encourage people to do as it relates to the news media is the news media is giving you something for free. And any time you get something for free, you are not the customer. You are the product. And if you're watching the news, you're not the customer of the news, um, the news agency. You are their product. The customer is the advertiser. Right. They're, they're, they're selling your eyeballs to the advertisers. So my my advice to people who watch the news is spend time watching what the advertisements are. Oh. So I never thought of let, that. Let's, let's, look at, let's look at football, Denise. If you were to watch a football game, what are the ads for football? Because they know their audience. Oh, I don't know. I don't watch. I, seriously, I don't even remember the last time I turned my TV on, and all I've got is Amazon Prime and some DVDs. I'd rather okay, read a book okay. or ten. Yeah, I, so you'll have to I, tell I, me. So, so if you watch football, they know their audience because it's advertisements for pickup trucks, beer, oh. junk food, and Viagra. Oh. They know these know. are men who like to drive pickup trucks, drink beer, eat bad food, and have sex. They know their audience. So then if you watch the news, what are the ads for the news? Well, they're for things that people are afraid of, like buying gold, or how do you get more life insurance, or how do you, how do you um, hire a lawyer if you have a personal injury. And then my favorite, which happens all the time, are medicines for stress-related illnesses. So high blood pressure, hypertension, high cholesterol, heart disease, irritable bowel syndrome, ulcerative colitis, migraine headaches, anxiety, depression, every one of which is a stress-related illness. And, so and then they have, have to tell you real fast how these can kill you. You know, the side effects, yeah. the side effects are worse than probably what you're trying to correct. Well, so you have the news media that's making you afraid, and then the pharmaceutical companies offering you a solution to your fear. Well, the other solution to that fear is, as you have said, don't turn on the news. Turn it off. Yeah. And listen, like you, when I'm in my car, I don't turn the radio on. I want to – sometimes I have the windows down, which is hard to do in the deep south because of the humidity, but when the weather's nice, those windows are down, you know, sunroof mm -hmm. is open. But I want to be quiet. I want to be aware of what the other drivers are doing because oftentimes they're not. You know, and, and I'm thinking. I'm not being drowned by somebody else's thinking, thinking. I don't turn on the radio anymore. I haven't for years. 
and and I think that's that, that's wonderful. Some people, you know, Denise, it sounds like you're very comfortable in in your own thoughts, and many oh, people are yeah. not. And when I encourage them to spend time in quiet reflection, that they they look at me like I've just told them, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do open heart surgery. Um, they're afraid because they say I I can't I can't have quiet reflection. I've got to be doing something, and they fill their heads with distraction. Oh, and they. they so how do you talk them into it? How do you? Are there any steps that they can take to say, okay, I'm going to give this a solid try. I'm really going to try. Do you give them some steps to say, listen, I know that you're constantly, you know, listening and doing and going and going and going. Let's try this. How do you help them? Well, I I think you've already talked about one of the things. Everyone is, for the most part, is quiet in the shower. And our best ideas come in the shower. So I encourage them, you know, don't have the radio on when you're in the shower. Just, just spend that time and, and ideas will come to you. And in the day, I encourage people, hey, that quiet reflection, it doesn't have to be long. You know, if, if, if you're no good at quiet reflection, then start out with 30 seconds. And, and what people do, you know, the best way to start is to count your breathing. Right. And so, I do and, that a lot. And, yeah, it's awesome. It, it's, a, it's a great way to slow yourself down and, and to move your brain into that default mode network, which is restorative and repairs your brain. And start with 30 seconds. You know, people go, well, you know, you hear about these these. Buddhist monks who meditate for eight hours a day. And I said, well, how do you think they started? They started with 30 seconds, and then they went up to 45 seconds, and then they worked their way up to a minute. And after 40 years of this, they got to do up to eight hours of meditation. You can't expect to start that way. So if, if you're a distractible person, and, and I'm the same way, Denise. I've got that monkey mind where my mind races, and so for, for me, the best thing is to go for a walk. Um, there's, a, there's a long tradition of walking meditation where you are exactly. quiet. Exactly. That's the just, only way I can meditate. I find myself, I've actually realized eventually that when I was walking the dog, when I walk in the evening, I'll find myself walking past my own house because I've fallen. I did say I was directionally impaired. I meant it. But I have fallen <laughs> into apparently some kind of meditation where I'm just going. Well, you know, uh, in, 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 the, in the Middle Ages, the monks in Europe knew this, and they created labyrinths, which, which are not oh. mazes. Oh. Do, do you know what a labyrinth is? I do, and I'm going to have to go study that because now you've got my brain going off in a different direction, which is fascinating. So thank you for that. So, so for your listeners, a labyrinth is not a maze, but it's a one path in a complicated, you know, pattern. And monks used to do walking meditation in these labyrinths. They would walk a path, and it helped them clear their mind. And so for people like me and people like you, Denise, who sitting still is a little bit harder, find a pattern or a pathway that you can walk every day 
so you know the pathway and you don't have to think about it. And just like, just like you said, Denise, you'll walk past your house and your dog is thinking, hey, good, another lap, excellent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, Mom. <laughs> oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And you, know, and you know, Roger, when you're talking about those 30 seconds, what about just before you go to sleep and just when you're waking up? I don't know about you, but what I always have some kind of a sticky problem. Typically, it's something technical. And because I'm a nerd, I have a computer science degree that nobody cares about, but I'm a nerd in stilettos. So before I finally, I know that I'm going to sleep because sleeping is not really natural to me. I'll know that I'm finally starting to slide towards sleep and I will turn over whatever that sticky issue is to my subconscious for review and I'll say it out loud. Okay, subconscious, Denise, pay attention. This is the question I have. Could you give me a response? And Roger, 318, every morning I wake up and there it is without fail. So it's a a little bit apocryphal so it may not um it may not be exactly true but it's a great story so i'll tell it anyway but before they knew the molecular structure of the chemical benzene one of the researchers who was trying to figure out how the the molecules connected together fell asleep and in his dream he had this this dream of six snakes rolling around in a pile, and then each of the six snakes bit the tail of the other snake, and he woke up, and that is, it's called a benzene ring with six, six atoms hooked together in a ring. And so the, the mythology or the apocryphal story is that he, he fell asleep, had this dream, and that's how he, he came up with the idea. So many of us, like you, and you know, many creatives and scientists come up with these ideas in their sleep. And for me, it works. I mean, I never fall asleep. And I wake up multiple times. I just catnap. I don't sleep for eight hours in a row. If I do, I'm dying, and I know I am. But you know, each time I go back to sleep or I think I'm able to go back to sleep, I'll say, okay, this is another one. And I will constantly you know get those answers back another thing if we're talking about those 30 seconds to develop that habit is when you wake up in the morning and I used to wake up Roger and hit that floor running my eyes pop open I hit the floor and my mom used to say the devil would say oh crap she's awake now (laughs) I have to my mom knew me well now I deliberately you know First of all, I get the cat off my bladder so I don't have to run. But I will deliberately stay in bed, which is difficult or used to be difficult for me to do, and look at my gratitude and think about, you know, what is it that I thought, you know, what did I learn during the night? What's going to happen today? Where can I go? And I spend those 30, 60, 90 seconds, whatever it is, largely in gratitude. makes a big, big difference. It's a great way. It's a great discipline, Denise. It's a great way to start your day. And, and for some of your listeners who may not have started that, we're, we're back to that 99-cent pad of paper. It, you know, when you wake mm-hmm. up in the morning, if you can write down five things that you're grateful for, that will start your day 
in a whole new different direction. Um, there was a, a researcher named Barbara Fredrickson. She's at the University of North Carolina, and she studied positivity. She's got a book called Positivity. And she generated a new theory called the broaden and build model of positive emotions. And what she found is that if you spend some time in gratitude, if you start with positivity, you're, you've got two, two side effects, one of which is you become more resilient to adversity and you become more creative. And so being positive, focusing on gratitude, helps you recover from adversity faster and more completely, and it makes you more creative. And, it, you know, Denise, as a creative, it sounds like you, you have intuitively created these disciplines in your life that help you down that path. I would have to say that's true because I do listen to – and listen, this is another thing in the shower. Let's go back to that. I don't, Roger, do you do this? When you hear yourself, because we're all talking to ourselves, maybe out loud. Mm -hmm. I talk to the cupboard sometimes. Why not? I live alone. I can get by with it. Talk to the cats a lot. But we hear that voice in our head. We're always thinking. We're always creating sentences. We're creating ideas. I have learned through (laughs) trial and effect, I guess, that when I hear myself, particularly in the shower, say, okay, I'm going to, that's my ego. But if I hear we're going to, that's my instinct. That could be spirit. It could be anything. I don't know. I don't guess. It could be Jeeves. That's the voice I pay attention to. So, so see, when we talked earlier about metacognition, thinking about your thinking, you've already observed language that you use that distinguishes productive from unproductive uh, from a, an unproductive from a, a productive source, the ego versus the instinct. And so, I mean, that's, that's an advanced skill, Denise. And so, oh, is it? You know, you're, you're, oh, absolutely. The, the I'm smart. To I've been telling you I was smart. I knew I was. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. and, and so many of the people I work with, Denise, don't have that level of self-insight. And if they can get that level of self-insight, then they can really start to turn the corner and, and really embrace some of the power in their life. And you've already given us some steps to take to do exactly that. Well, I hope so. I hope so. They're practical steps. The thought monitoring, thought stopping, thought replacement is, is a great first step. And it's a great beginning skill. Listen, we I told you this was the fastest 60 minutes on the Internet, but I don't want to cut you loose before we do a quick, quick summary. And if there's anything that we managed to miss that I was too busy interrupting you that you didn't get to share, uh, give us a few minutes, if you would, and just you know, kind of give a summary of what people can do to help themselves. I think the first, the first and most important thing that, to remember is that you have within your power the ability to, to limit and control your thoughts. And, those, and the way our brains are designed is that the most reliable way for us to limit and control our unpleasant emotions is to manage our thoughts. And so if we manage our thoughts, then our emotions will fall in line, and then our behavior will fall in line. 
And when people say, well, I just can't control my emotions, well, of course you can. Um, it, it's just that you're not very good at it yet. And, or you so don't I want to. Or you don't want to. Um, right. And, and so, so what I encourage people to remember every day is you, your brain is designed in such a way that you can change your brain by changing your thinking. And by practice and rehearsal, you can change the biology, the biochemistry of what's going on in your brain and change the outcome of your thoughts and your emotions. And, and it's within all of our power. It's difficult, but it, it's there. And so I, I, I want to give people encouragement and hope that they can do that for themselves and that they don't have to live in fear and they don't have to live in ways that are um, unpleasant for them. They can, they can live happy and productive lives. You don't have to wake up mad and go to bed mad. You really don't. You don't. You don't. And you, and you kind of choose that. Um, I guess the final example I'll give is what I call the telephone test. And if you've ever been at home in an argument with a loved one and you're, you're, you know, you're sniping at each other and you're hollering at each other and the phone rings, what happens to your voice when you answer the phone? Hello? <laughs> you know? I've done what, it. So you can't what, tell that I was just trying to tell somebody to just die, go away, leave me yeah, alone. Yeah, right. I was, hey, so mom, how are you doing? Us, yeah, what this tells us is that at the sound of a little bell, we can control our vocal tone and our vocal content. We oh. can control our emotions. But we decide, as you said, you decide not to. And so anytime somebody lies and says, I lost my temper, no, you didn't. You didn't leave it in the car. It's not at the grocery store. You decided to become angry because the telephone test tells us that we all have the capacity to manage our emotions. See, that is brilliant, and I knew it because I've done it. We've all done it. And I noticed it at the time but didn't write it down or pay much attention to it. And now that you're – I'm recalling some of those things. I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, it's just so it, – maybe it's just too simple. It's so simple. Well, you know, we do it so often that we don't even pay attention to it anymore. And that's why it's important to start – you know, that's why I, tell, I give the example. So that every time your phone rings, it will remind you, okay, I can control my emotions. No kidding. That is brilliant. Okay, I've got to let you go because we're eight minutes past, and I really thank you for staying. Six minutes past. I just lied to you. Um, thank you for staying with me. But where oh, before so I grateful. cut you, <laughs> we could talk all day long. I'd be happy with that. But where can people find you? Where can they find your book and, and this wonderful expedition journal? Tell us about that one more time. Yeah, so uh, the easiest website to find me at is drrogerhall.com. You can can get the the book Staying Happy, Being Productive at either that website, drrogerhall.com, or at stayinghappybeingproductive.com. I have another website, which is my company name, which is Compass Consultation, and the expedition is available at that book or at at that website, compassconsultation.com. And then I have an online course to help people overcome worry called freakoutcourse.com. Oh, I'm going to have to go find that one. I don't think I freak out that much, but 
you know, nobody wants to freak out at all if we can avoid it. If we can avoid it. And this last year has been full of people freaking out. So oh, I, I know. developed this course in response to the, the, the total freakouts that I've been working with in this last year and, and a way to kind of consolidate everything I've been teaching my people so that everyone can have access to it. Roger, thank you. It it has been really wonderful speaking with you. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. And thank you for listening to me interject every once in a while. I, I would try not to. I'd have my thumb on the mute button, but my hand was in the air going, me, 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 i got something to say. So I tried not to. <laughs> no, it was, great, it was a great conversation, Denise. Very, very delighted to be here today. Thank oh, you so much. Thank you. And listen, thank you for all of the terrific tips and the advice and the steps that people can take. And before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes and really anywhere else you consume your your business podcast. We are in Amazon Prime. I'm on Audible. Listen notes. Really, you can't throw a stick at the Internet and not find this podcast, so go look for us. Thank you. Just look for your partner in Success Radio and take us along on your success journey. Roger, Thank you. Thank you so much, Denise. I'm grateful for our time together. Me too. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. 